Good morning. Isn't that wonderful that the Lord has called our name out of the darkness into his glorious light? As we prepare ourselves for the message that God has laid on Jonathan's heart this morning, let us turn to God's word and we're going to be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 1 through to 18. Are we beginning to commend you ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our confidence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters of stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull for to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with veil, unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with everlasting increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. May God bless his word to us this morning. Thank you, Alan. Well, welcome again. If you are uh, just joining us here for the first time, uh, we are finishing up a series today 
that has been trying to answer the question, what is the church? And I hope you've enjoyed uh, our time as we consider this question from the scriptures. Um, from next week, we will be um, moving into a new series through the book of Amos. I say Amos, people say Amos. I don't know how you guys say it here. Uh, I'm going to mess it up. I'm already confused. Uh, but uh, we're going to be going through uh, the book of Amos. Um, as we have made clear at other times, uh, with the church's blessing, uh, Joanna and I and the kids are going to be heading over to the States. We're going to be going to America, uh, set to come back at the end of October. Uh, and so I'm very grateful. Pastor Chris and Pastor Stephen uh, are going to be leading us uh, as we get into the book of Amos. And then uh, we're going to have a special guest preacher, Phil Evans, who used to be at Hawkesbury Valley. He's going to come uh, later uh, in October. And we'll finish that up before Christmas. Um, but I encourage you, uh, please keep the things that we've been talking about here at the front of your minds. Um, it's going to be really, really important. Um, and I expect Amos to be uh, challenging to us in all of, all of the best ways. According to the reputable news publication bosshunting.com.au, uh, social media personality Kabi Lame, I don't know if I said that right, um, is quickly making himself uh, rich through the platform of TikTok. Uh, he is a Senegalese immigra immigrant who moved to Italy when he was one, he grew up in a public housing complex, and he is currently uh, making over $750,000 uh, a year uh, doing TikTok videos. Uh, it might even be, might even be higher. Um, he is most, was most recently pulled aside uh, to a fashion show. He's being paid to make appearances, uh, and it's a, it's a wonderful story of someone who's uh, harnessing the power of social media. Uh, for an immigrant who, who lived in a public housing complex, I'll just give you some stats about him. Uh, he has a lavish car collection. He also has a home in Los Angeles, which apparently features a swimming pool and a tennis court. Um, he gets brand endorsements around the world. And uh, wherever he goes, he, he, people want to take pictures with him. Um, he is 22 years old. Uh, his estimated net worth right now is $15 million, and he has staken, he has staked his claim um, to uh, being having the most followers uh, on TikTok. Uh, and sorry, I, my stat was incorrect. Uh, his manager, Alessandro Riggio, revealed that Kaby Lane currently earns up to $750,000 per TikTok video uh, for a single promotional video. So I don't know what you're doing with your life, but... Uh, Next time you tell your kids to get off their phones, you know, you never know. Maybe they'll be the next, uh, the next copy lane. Um, but I hope you get the concept. The concept is this man is now so famous that people who want to sell something or promote something simply just want to get their picture taken next to him. He gives credibility to whatever endeavor he is sponsoring. 
they put him in fancy clothes and suddenly the brand takes off. You put him in a promotional video and, and the next thing you know, it gets all sorts of endorsements. Celebrities, uh, athletes, people around the world are trying to harness this man's popularity in order to establish their message. This morning, we're going to be looking at who we are as the church. And we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 3 because the question of commendation is on the table. The question of commendation is on the table. Um, We've been asking the question, what is the church? And we're seeing this morning, we are the church. So I hope you understand that everything we've been talking about the last 14 or so weeks is meant to apply to us. These are all things that are true of us. This is not something that you have to go learn about, study in a book, sort of you're going to be quizzed on. This is meant to be reality for you. This is daily living for you and I. All these things that we've been saying about what it means to be the church. And this morning, being the church, a fitting way to wrap up is to understand that we are Christ's letter to the world. Christ's letter to the world. Even more to the world, to the, to the angels in the heavenly realms, to everyone. Now here's a bit of an overview uh, of where we've been and, and I've highlighted in blue for you kind of the three sort of main aspects. And if you want to answer what the church is, I think you could succinctly say the church is uh, the spirit-born assembly of God's people in Christ. God has called people to himself. He's raised the banner of Jesus Christ. We are rallying to him. And those who come are the redeemed. He's the ones that Jesus has bought with his blood. They are his body, his bride, his glory. And in that process, they are uh, endued with his Spirit. They are born again of his spirit that they might testify to God, that they might belong to God, and that they might be kept for God's glory. Now, the reason we did all of, uh, of this is we, we felt like coming out of COVID, we, we wanted to reorient our focus. When we asked, what's the church all about? We want to understand, what are we focusing on? Are we focusing on ourselves? Are we focusing on others? Are we focusing on what we do in the community? What's our focus? We wanted to remember our why as well. What's our purpose? What's the purpose of the church? We wanted to renew our love for one another. We've been separated for so long. We wanted to, to, to really try to encourage us to see one another as God sees us, that we might love each other. And ultimately, we wanted to reflect our God. That's, that's who we are. We're God's people in this world. We ought to reflect him. But those sort of have a who, what, why, and a how behind each of those questions, which we'll come to later. So I want to, I want to officially welcome you, welcome you. Um, and our big question that we're going to tackle this morning is, what gives the gospel credibility? We're a people who have been changed by some news, by a report, by an account. We want to ask the question, what gives the gospel credibility? Now, hear me correctly. I'm not saying what gives the gospel authority. I'm saying, what gives the gospel credibility? We know the gospel is authoritative because of what God has done in Christ. But what makes the gospel credible? What makes it believable? In other words, do we need Cobby Lane to come alongside and sort of hold up his Bible and say, look, Christians are cool. Look, the gospel's real. Here's Cobby Lane. He's holding up a Bible. Oh, he went to church. You know, we need Justin Bieber to go to our church so that now all the kids can say, oh, being a Christian's cool. I don't know if Bieber's cool anymore or not. I'm way past that. <laughs> well, what gives the gospel credibility? 
This is the issue at hand in Corinth. The church at Corinth had been planted and founded by the Apostle Paul. Uh, They were excelling in the gifts and the manifestations of the Holy Spirit. But there was correspondence that was coming to the church in Corinth from other Christians. And the, the net effect of all of that was it was diminishing Paul's ministry in their eyes. And so the gospel that Paul brought, it didn't come with a letter of recommendation from the Jerusalem church. He didn't come asking for a fee like other speakers would do in that day. He simply showed up to town one day and started telling them about Christ crucified. And the next thing you know, there was a church. And so now Paul is being looked at sort of with the side eye like, really? We're kind of moving past you, Paul. And so the context is set by Paul's question in verses one to three. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? See, Paul's in a difficult spot because he's being attacked, but if you defend yourself when you're being attacked, it sounds like you're promoting yourself. And so Paul faces the question, do I just let them sort of run me over by saying nothing? Do I let them discredit my ministry by saying nothing? Or do I, do, do, do I appear to be self-promoting by actually standing up for my ministry and what I'm doing. That's the dilemma that Paul's facing. And he asks the question, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? This is the question. Paul's saying, I see you're wondering what gives credibility to what we're doing here. And in Paul's answering to this question, he's going to bring out profound truth about who we are as a church. So let's pray and let's ask God to bless the rest of our time together. Father in heaven, would you encourage us and speak to us through the Holy Spirit? We need to know Christ, not simply theoretically, not simply theologically. Lord, we need to know him personally. We need to know him in a way that is both internal and external, Lord, holistically. So Father, would you, would you manifest Christ among us today? May we hear from him through the power of your spirit. Amen. So the big question is what gives the gospel credibility? The big idea this morning is that we are Christ's letter commending his gospel to all the world. The answer to the question, what gives the gospel credibility? We do. The church. I know, you're looking at like, what? Really? Is this God's best idea? How many people have thought, you know, Jesus, what were you doing? Why would you, why would you commit this message to, to these people? Why would you give the responsibility of taking the news that would change the world to human beings? Do you know what humans are like? I get it. We all look at Jesus and be like, what? But I trust you'll see, you'll see the power in it. The context, we need to distinguish, first of all, between the content of the gospel and between the commending of the gospel. The content of the gospel is that Jesus is the Messiah, risen from the dead, ascended on high, reigning from heaven, from which he will return to judge all of the earth and bring everything into the unified purpose and plan of God as he delivers the kingdom over to the Father 
after everything's been put under his feet. The evidence of this is historical. It's been accounted for. That's what the gospel is. The gospel doesn't change based on whether people believe it or not. The gospel is the gospel. But what we're talking about this morning is the commending of the gospel. The, 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 the showing forth of its effects and its credibility. And so Paul is going to give the Corinthians some contrasts that, that really counter, counter this accusation that, that, that he needs to sort of polish up his resume. He needs to bring some letters, that he needs some sort of human authentication. Listen to what he says. He says in verse two, you yourselves are our letter. You, you want a letter, Corinthians? You want a letter from somebody? You're the letter. Whoa. Did you see what he just did? They're looking for paper. And Paul says, my letter is people. You want to understand the credibility? You want to understand the veracity, the, the, the authenticity of this message? It's not going to come with the degrees at the end of, of a name. It's not going to come with, with the endorsement of a certain body. It's going to come through the lives of people, specifically through the church. The author is not other Christians. The author is not these, these higher-ups in Jerusalem. The amount of people who tell me their Christian story and they, they start with, well, so-and-so was my pastor. I don't care. That's not the lead line in your testimony. Who your pastor was or is is not the lead line. That's not the highlight. I belong to Christ. That's your testimony. That's my testimony. That's what it is. But on a human level, we can get caught up in thinking that, that it's really about how we sort of distinguish ourselves and show ourselves from one another and we're neglecting what Christ does. So Christ is the author here. The text or the, the actual manuscript that's delivered, it's not, it's not on tablets. And here Paul brings in the understanding of the, the old covenant law. He says it's not on tablets, it's on hearts. The actual inner life of a person is changing. The implement of writing this letter is not... It's not the law, it's the spirit. It's not, it's not the letter, it's not the regulation, it's not the command of God, it's the spirit of God who is writing this letter. It's not simply what God has dictated, it's who God is, it's what he is writing. And the glory, the glory that accompanies this, this message that Christ is writing, it's not a glory that's fading, it's not, a, it's not a one time only sort of deal, it's not a have your encounter and sort of live off the buzz of the high and look for the next one. No, the glory that comes with this message that Christ is writing through us is a glory that only grows. It's a transformation that builds momentum, you see. We are Christ's letter. We are the spirit-born church of God in Christ. So we ask the question, what, if we're a letter, what's, what's, what's Jesus saying? <laughs> I mean, a letter is meant to communicate, right? You pick up a letter, you sort of scan it for its content. What, what should people be reading as, as they read the church? What are they reading? We could write a whole, I could go for an hour and a half on this. Don't worry, I'm not going to. <laughs> so this is not exhaustive, okay? But these are things that, that jump out for me as I read about the glorious ministry of Christ to this church. 
The first thing that ought to be read by anyone who reads the church is that God is wonderful. God is absolutely wonderful. I struggled with this the most. Not that he's wonderful, but what to write? I just ended up with wonderful. Why? Because in the church, you see that God is real. In the church, you see that God is accessible, that he's near. In the church, you see that God is powerful and mighty. You see that he's good and he's loving. I mean, how do you describe all that? It's just wonderful. People should look at the church and say, God is, God is beautiful and amazing. The church ought to be the answer to atheism. We don't come up with arguments against atheism. We are the argument against atheism. We are the proof. Because people look at this gathering, this, this disparate hodgepodge of, of people that the world doesn't really seem to have a lot of regard for, but, but they've been brought together, they've been assembled, and in their midst there seems to be this supernatural power this presence, this weightiness, this glory among us, and it's beautiful. So for people who don't even think there's a God, they ought to look at the church and say he's real. For people who, who look outside and see, well, there must be a God, but I don't know if I'd like him, they should look at the church and say, he's the best friend you could ever have. He's the best one worth knowing. Of all possible people in all possible worlds, there's no knowledge, there's no relationship of anyone that can transcend knowing the living God. And that ought to be apparent in the church. The second thing that people should read when they, when they read the church is that worship is spiritual. That, that relating to this wonderful God is not, it's not a matter of, of simply ticking boxes. It's not a matter of, of simply outward duty and performance. Yes, it's expressed physically. It's expressed bodily. It's expressed in observance. Absolutely. But that worship begins internally in the spirit, in the very core of who we are, that we relate to this God in spirit and in truth. So that when the world looks at the church, they read of, uh, of a group of people who have been changed from the inside out. And they connect with this God, not just by being in hallowed halls, but wherever they go. They, their status with him, their relationship with him doesn't, doesn't hinge on, on the ritual. Because the worship is real. It's spiritual. At their core. The very inner man, the inner woman, the thing that makes a human a human, that is where worship takes place. Thirdly, they ought to look at the church and see that righteousness is available. Now, this is a bit confusing because a lot of people don't want to believe that you need righteousness. They, they, they say, you know, righteousness is this old invented category that is really meant to just oppress people. And I want to say, okay, great. 
If you say that, fair enough. I'd like your car, please. <laughs> I'd like your house, please. <laughs> um, you see, when we begin to take things off people, when, when, when we begin to violate sort of ethics and things that we know, things that from all time we've just seen as, as wrong, then suddenly we're like, oh, righteousness is important. Justice is important. But for a lot of people, there's this thing called the conscience, which God has given us, where we recognize that we are not what we ought to be, where we know that we have fallen short. But in the church, we learn that righteousness is available. Available is a strange word because a lot of us think righteousness is something that you create. It's something that you generate. It's something that I work up. But in the church, we, we, we behold a people who have been given righteousness, who have been declared righteous, who, who've, who've had the guilt stripped off of them and who are, who are washed in grace and who's, who stand spotless. That's the story that, that the church should tell. And the, the evidence of this, this available righteousness ought to be just so so tangible and practical because suddenly in a group like the church, when, when somebody hurts me, I don't have to retaliate. Not because well, I'm never going to attain to my righteousness if I retaliate, but because I know that if somebody retaliated against me and my unrighteousness, I wouldn't even be here right now. And so I've changed. I've learned about love. I've accepted grace, and I'm able to extend grace. And so the, Christ is saying through the church, hey, world, stop trying to pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. You don't have to ignore the fact that you're a sinner, but you don't have to stay a sinner either. You can be a saint. And being a saint is something that's given to you. Fourthly, Christ is saying through the church to the world that freedom is possible. Freedom is possible. Freedom from what, you may ask? Freedom from fear, that's a good place to start. The Bible says that all of the world is enslaved by a fear of death. Humanity marching minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, marching to its own end. And yet there is something that's been set in our hearts. Eternity is what the Bible says. Eternity has been set in our hearts. And so we recognize that there is something amiss, there's something wrong. We're not like the animals who just go around happy-go-lucky, run by, by mere instinct. There's something in us that laments that we will die. And we're afraid of it. And it governs us. You say, what do you mean? How does it govern us? Well, for starters, we push we push the dead and the dying to the periphery of society. 
We put them in care homes, staffed by people we don't know, in very clean, antiseptic spaces where we can come in and we can go out. We celebrate youth. We fight our own aging. We lament tragedy and suffering. There's a queue, I don't know how many kilometers long, to attest to the death of a sovereign. Why? Because we know there is something unnatural in death. Jesus says, you don't have to live in fear of that. The church is a people who, who for some reason, are not governed by that terrible fate. They don't deny it. They don't put their heads in their sands like there's some sort of, you know, ostrich thinking, well, this isn't going to happen to me. No. But like, like the Apostle Paul, the church says, you know, if I die, I die. I, I, I go and be with the Lord. That's, that's far better. But if I live, look at all the good things that I can do. And so the church is free from this fear of death. We're also free from sin. We begin to experience the victory over the things that ensnare us. A buddy of mine put on his Facebook feed the other day, you know, 8,800 something something years, uh, days sober, years. 8,800 something days sober. And I was like, oh, I didn't know he had an addiction. And I, I clicked on his post and I read it. And it was his testimony. He said, I found Jesus. And I found freedom. You see, so many people are living their lives trying to manage their cravings, trying to, tr trying to manage their desires that are mastering over them. But the Christ megaphone to the world through the church is you don't have to be enslaved to that anymore. You can actually be free. You don't have to lust. You don't have to give in to anger. You don't have to carry bitterness. You don't have to give your soul over to greed. You don't have to worship comfort or pleasure or power. You don't have to do these things. You can be content and you can live righteousness. And the world, the world doesn't know what to do with that. What do you do with that? One remembers Daniel praying from his window. They thought, his opponents thought, surely there's something we can call him out on. And they couldn't find anything. And so the only thing they could call him out on was his worship, his prayer. And even then God delivered him. Christ is saying freedom is available. And, and freedom from fear, freedom from sin, freedom from death itself. The resurrection is a testimony that death is not the end. We need to get our heads around the fact that there is a fate worse than death. There is a fate worse than death. Eternity apart from God is a fate worse than death. Not knowing your savior is a fate worse than death. Giving your whole soul in exchange for the world is a fate worse than death. But we don't need to be in fear anymore. We can have liberty. Lastly, 
the church is Christ's message that glory is visible. The glory of God is on display. The wisdom of God, the goodness of God, the power of God is shown through the church, through who we are. Through the miraculous, absolutely. Through endurance, absolutely. Through faith, yes. We overcome the world, the glory of God made known through us. God in his beauty and in his eminence revealed through us. I want you to think of a time when you saw the glory of God in the life of a saint and a brother or sister. When you say, you know, there's no earthly explanation, but I can see, I see in you ah, a shimmer and a shining of the glory of God. Gather those testimonies, collect them up. I love being a pastor because I look around this room and I see, I see the glory of God shining in so many different ways. It's beautiful to behold. This is what Christ is saying through the church. And the question for us is how legible is our letter? <laughs> When people come to WDBC, do they, do they understand that God is real, that he's accessible, that he's powerful? Do they see that our faith is personal and meaningful, or is it simply this sort of outward tradition? Do they understand that love is a tangible, a reliable, an eternal thing, or is it merely just an idea? Is hope possible? Does the world look at us and say, you know, I'd given up. I'd given up and then, and then my friend invited me along to WDBC and I, and, I, and I met these people and they were, I couldn't see an earthly reason for their hope, but they had hope. And that gave me hope. Is Christ visible among us? Do they see Christ in us? This great chapter ends with Paul saying that we with unveiled face behold Christ. And in our beholding of Christ, we are changed, ever increasing glory. How legible is our letter? Can people read it? I want to return briefly to the aims of this series. We wanted to reorient our focus. I hope you come to church for God. Yes, for the fellowship, absolutely, but, but because in the fellowship you, you behold more of God and you have an opportunity to love his people. But I hope, I hope he's your focus when you walk through these doors. I hope there's a passion in your heart that is kindled to make God everything for him to be all in all of your life? Do you know your purpose or love? Are we reflecting our God? I wanted to connect this with our identity statement. Who is WDBC? 
Who is WWC? We often say WWC is a family of faith following Christ to freedom. I want you to see why we say that. So we ask the question, who is our focus? And we see by faith, our focus is Jesus. He's, he's the one. We look to him. What is our purpose? Well, we've been freed that we might be worshipers. That we might give ourselves, all of ourselves to God in, in, in an act of surrender and praise. Not just singing a song, but a life given over, a life yielded. I want to encourage you this week, if you still got your hands on your life, take them off. Take them off. Give it to the Lord. There is no sweeter peace, there is no sweeter joy than being surrendered to the Lord. You will know true freedom. Who do we love? Why do we love? Well, we're family because our love is redemptive. It's redemptive in the sense that we, we have experienced redeeming love and that Christ gave himself for us and he brought us into relationship with God. And it's not that we loved God, but that he first loved us. And so our, our love is redemptive in that nature, but our love is also redemptive in that we extend that love in redeeming ways to others where we bear a cost. Not that we become a substitute for Christ, but that we continue to image Christ, that we continue to reflect Christ in our relationships. And so we participate in redeeming love. And how? How are we reflecting our God? We reflect our God as disciples. A disciple is a learner. Someone who is following and pattern matching after Jesus. And when we think about what is it, what's important to us? I was thinking about these four terms, family, faith, following, freedom. And I think if we're a people of faith, then we value believing. We value trusting, trusting Jesus. That's important. We care about that. If, if we know we're made to be a free people, then, then we value becoming what God intended us to be. Not what we make of our own lives, but what he intended us to be, which is worshipers. And if our love is redemptive, then we ought to value this belonging Belonging to God and belonging to one another. And if we're following, then we ought to value beginnings. I just want to finish on this point. Let's be a church. Let's be a church that celebrates people starting. Celebrates people taking up the journey. Celebrates new beginnings. Because so often in this world, we're expected to be experts. But disciples are just learners. 
We're practicing. We're, we're, we're stumbling. We're, we're, we're trying to get through. But if we value being perfect and we value performance, then we're never going to make a new beginning. What would it look like? Now, some of us have been walking with the Lord for a while. And if your life is a page and a letter that he's writing, maybe there's a lot of paragraphs. Maybe with some of you, it's just, it's just the first couple of words. But I want to encourage you, and I don't know if this is true, but it seems to me from Scripture this is a good way to think about it. If each one of us comprise a letter, if each one of us is a letter, how would Christ start that letter? I imagine it starting, Bill is my child. Jane is my child. Paul belongs to me. This one I have redeemed. Everyone's letter starts with that. If you don't know this morning that you belong to Jesus Christ, remember what he's trying to say through the church. God is wonderful. Worship is spiritual. Righteousness is available. I thought I could do it, but I can't. <laughs> Freedom is possible. <laughs> and glory is visible. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, would you continue to write your story among us? May the world look to us and see a compelling picture of the goodness of God. May we truly value starting because you start with a call. And Lord, I don't know who needs to respond to you. I don't know what that response is meant to look like in each particular case, but we know you are the God who calls and we know you are the God who redeems. We know you are the God who loves and cares and will establish us in your kingdom. May we live that journey now. In Christ's name, amen.